This is the Gospel and Mental Health Podcast. We are the Morgans, and we believe that by incorporating the Gospel of Jesus Christ, we can build better relationships, improve our mental health, and become better people. Hey, welcome to another podcast, The Gospel and Mental Health with David and Kristen Morgan. Hello. We have a good topic for you today, we think. Uh, and I'll, I'll, in all honesty, Kristen generally comes up with the topics. <laughs> I do. The things that concern me become she, our topics. <laughs> but they're so good. That's why I, I say, hey, come up with a topic and then put together an outline and then ask some questions. And she always does such a good job. And today is no exception. <laughs> well, we'll so, see. Um, and there is a quote that she has here, how to keep the wind out of your sails, how to keep their wind out of your sails, um, which we'll talk about a little further. But a lot of this has to do with families and especially children, right? Yes. Raising children. Raising children. So let's talk a little bit about our family, just seeing, just for some context. Yeah. So we have six children. Our oldest is 20... Eight. 28. 28. Yeah. That seems crazy. 28. And then our youngest is almost 18. Yeah. So she's a senior. So we have five sons and a daughter. Um, and then we have three grandchildren. So our two oldest are married. Um, so I guess a lot of experience with raising children. Yes, I'll say. Yeah. So That's pretty much all we've done for since 1993, right? Yeah, we could do a whole another podcast about yeah. almost, <laughs> this th- time almost in our 30, life. 30 years of raising children. So. Yes, how we feel like our job's coming to an end. Not really, but it's definitely yeah. changing. So, yeah, so I think it helps to know a little bit about us and our experiences, you know, raising, raising our kids. So the quote, which was how to keep their wind, the quote is, don't let their wind get into your sails. I think is the quote. And it came from a book that I was reading called How to Have a New Teenager by Friday, which I think is like the catchiest title ever um, by Dr. Kevin Lehman. And I read this, oh, several years ago when we just, you know, we're kind of in the throes of raising teenagers and, and having challenges over any number of things, dating and getting jobs and getting kids to do homework and, you know, you name it. And what I found interesting about this book is that the title alludes to the fact of how you're going to change your child so that they will do, you know, what you want them to do. But really the book was about how we can be more effective parents (laughs) to get better results. So I really liked it. I was going to say, I have not read that book, but just looking at the title, I think I want my money back already (laughs) only because... That, that doesn't make any sense to me. And but sound, I'm, I'm glad to hear that the author talked about, because like if you said how to become a new parent by Friday. Yeah. No one wants to buy that book. Well, <laughs> it, it, exactly. But that's what the book has to be about, because you can't change other people. And, and kind of what we're going to talk about today is this idea of not letting other people control your lives. And so if you're saying, OK, the only way that I'm going to be a good parent is if by this Friday I can make my teenager into a different person. I mean, the whole thing just kind of reeks of control and, and that sort of thing. Yes. Clever title for sure. And I, and I have nothing against clever titles, but I think we need to remember that everything that we do, um, it all comes back to us. It all comes back to what we can do for ourselves. And hopefully the things that we do, do have some sort of effect on other people Absolutely. around us. 
Absolutely. Yeah. Well, and so when I got to this chapter in the book where this this quote came up, um, it just resonated with me because I realized that part of my problem was that I was letting my children's emotions in particular, choices as well, but their emotions sort of dictate my my emotions or my reactions to what they were doing. And I didn't like that feeling. First of all, teenagers have a lot of emotions and I've already been a teenager. I'm not anxious to repeat that experience, but I just found that I was getting really kind of caught up in and their emotions. So I really liked this concept and I thought, you know, we could talk about it today and, and how we can practice it. Well, yeah. And I like that idea of where it says keeping their wind out of your sails kind of suggests this thing of, you know, if we're out there on a sailboat and you intend to head in a certain direction, but if someone else's wind is coming and blowing you in a direction you don't want to go, it's like, how do you, how do you avoid that? How do you, how do you continue to maintain your own direction regardless of what's happening around you? And you can definitely expand this beyond just, um, you know, children, but friends or spouses, sure. a or, job, a boss, right, yeah, in, any sort of relationship you have where you feel like, um, you know, they are, uh, they're the person is, uh, is kind of unduly influencing you. So we'll talk about that, like how, what, what you can do in order to um, avoid letting someone else's emotions dictate your own. Absolutely. Absolutely. So I guess the first question would be, why is this concept important to, to understand and implement? So basically just because we need to be in charge of our emotional well-being. Right. Once you turn that over to someone else, it becomes you know, very difficult to, to manage your life. A parenthetical comment, our daughter is uh, watching us, our almost 18-year-old daughter. She's closing the pocket door so she can have some uh, some food here. She's uh, she's fantastic. Oh, yeah. A delight. Yeah. <laughs> nice she, one to finish up with. Yes. She's giving us the thumbs up. <laughs> um, all of our children have been great. <laughs> we should have Kennedy on the podcast. For sometime. sure. She's hilarious. <laughs> um, and it's... Uh, I think we've definitely become better parents over the years. Absolutely. And so maybe that's one of the reasons why why she's wonderful anyway. But, but yeah, we need to just make sure that um, that our emotional experience is ours. And it's not and, and that's not to say that it's not influenced by other people because it will be, but it shouldn't be completely influenced by someone else. If sure. you've basically given charge of your emotional um, outcome, to someone else or to a different situation, then you've just become a victim. Right. And, and you're always uh, going to be kind of held hostage to that situation. Absolutely. So I think most parents can relate to this. You know, maybe our kid comes home, they're in a bad mood, and then pretty soon you're in a bad mood because they're in a bad mood. Or um, they come home and they're disappointed, and now you're disappointed, or they're sad and you're sad. So, I mean, why is that? Why are we so tied to that? Why does this happen that we let their emotions so you know, influence our own? Well, I think, I think you have to look at why is that, why are you feeling that way? Um, you know, if, if one of our children comes home and has had a significant disappointment in their life, let's say they didn't get into the program that they wanted to at school, or they got cut from the sports team or something like that, they're sad. And then we get sad. I think that's a very appropriate response, sure. right? It's not, um, so, so you can certainly have empathy for them. Um, the difference would be if you feel like 
their mood dictates yours. Um, and so, and so I think it, it's a subtle difference. So we just have to be careful because I don't think you should say, I, I'm just kind of this um, emotional Teflon and it doesn't matter what, how, right. what my kids feel. I, I just feel fine all the time. Right. You know, they could have just, you know, gone through their worst tragedy in their life. And I'm like, well, too bad for you. You know, that's, that's sociopathic. And so we don't want to, <laughs> you know, we don't want to get to that point, but we also don't want to get to the point where if they come home and, and let's say they didn't get the part they tried out for in theater and, and for them, they're just, they're wailing and it's horrible. And they're just crying for days on end. We might be able to step back from that and say, well, this probably isn't as bad as you think. I feel badly that you feel badly, but I don't have to be wailing and, and crying for days on end either. Absolutely. And that kind of leads to the next question, the next question. I had that I want to discuss, which is, you know, what is the danger when we do fall victim to this idea of letting our emotions be dictated, you know, by our children's emotions? So maybe um, let's talk about the effect on the kids and then kind of come back to us as parents. I think that, um, yeah, the effect on the kids only becomes significant when we become explicit about how they're affecting us. So if we say, like, if, if your child knows that, um, if they have a bad day, then you're going to have a bad day. Right. Like if you tell them, say, look, I need you to have a good day today, because if you come home sad, then I'm going to be sad and I can't be sad today. Right. You know, and, and some, sometimes, uh, parents, they have these very porous boundaries, emotional boundaries with their children. And, um, almost as if there's a, uh, I see this sometimes in parents, particularly with adolescence, and it's almost like they're the the same emotional age. Yes. You know, uh, I mean, there's like this fighting back and forth. And we well, said I could do this. We well, said I could do that. You know, and it sounds like two, you know, 13 year olds arguing with each other. Right. As opposed to a 43 year old and a 13 year old arguing with each other. Right. And, and I just think that as parents, we have the responsibility to be the more mature in that situation. We were already 13. We don't right. get a do over on 13. This is their first time being 13. Right. And so, we need to be the responsible ones. So if if you have caught fallen into this trap where your child knows that that they're that you're only going to be happy when they're happy, I think that puts an extremely unfair burden on them because then they have to mask their emotions. Right. They say, "Well, I can't come home sad." Right. Because if I come home sad, then my dad's going to be sad and that and then that's going to make me sad. And so it makes it so they can't kind of feel those emotions authentically. Um so there has to be healthy boundaries, healthy emotional boundaries between you and your children so that they know that they can have their emotional experiences and that you are going to be okay. It doesn't mean you won't be sad or angry for a period of time, but that ultimately the result is going to be stability on your part right. um, so that they can recover from what's going on with them. Well, and if you go back to the sailing analogy, this wind and the sails, it's like <laughs> adolescence sort of is a storm, right? So they've already got all these other emotions going on and someone's got to be steady in that. And I think too often parents can um, add to the storm versus being that steady influence. And, and so I think you find that when you see families that have a lot of drama, you know, a lot of ups and downs, I love you. I hate you. You're the worst. You're the best. None of that is emotionally healthy in my opinion. Yeah. Um, that just creates, you know, more turmoil. It creates, you know, lower self-concept, all of those things. And so, you know, it's a detriment both to the child and then obviously to yourself. You know, if I'm, I'm 48 almost now, if I'm 48 and I'm still 
having the same emotions and reacting the same way as I did as a 15 year old, then <laughs> I think there's some problems there. Well, and like you said, that is just your opinion. That happens to be my opinion as well. <laughs> <Right>. And that's <laughs> a, a licensed psychologist opinion. <laughs> right. Um, and, and you're right. It's, it, it is not, that is not healthy for, like I said, for parents to be engaging with their adolescents at an adolescent level. Absolutely. Um, it just, we, as parents, we need to show that greater emotional maturity and, um, and deal with those things in a more responsible way. Yeah. Which is, it's challenging because sometimes I don't want to be the grown up. Sometimes my, you know, I have to work really hard on my feelings, not getting hurt or feeling like, you know, if a child calls up and, you know, yells at me or, you know, is super upset, you know, sometimes you do get tired of having to be, you know, the, the steady one, the strong one, but that's also my responsibility as a parent. Welcome to adulthood. Exactly. Yeah. Right. Uh, there, <laughs> there was this phrase, I've heard it before my sister-in-law, Annie and I have talked about it before that, that kind of goes around and it's the quote is you're only as happy as your saddest child. Mm -hmm. <laughs> and I've heard this and I just, I remember hearing that for the first time and thinking, I can't live my life that way. I have six children. <laughs> someone's probably going to be sad at any given time. And so I can't spend my whole life, nor I don't want to spend my whole life being sad. Well, and I think that that statement is probably well-intended by most sure. people who use it. And and I think it's basically a statement of empathy, right? It's saying that I will, I will feel sad. I'll feel sad when my children are sad. Um, and I totally get that in, in the scriptures when um, Alma the elder is baptizing people with the waters of Mormon. He talks about the baptismal covenant of mourning with those that mourn sure. and comforting those that stand in need of comfort. And I think that statement, you're only as happy as your saddest child alludes to that to a certain extent. It suggests that kind of empathic thing, but when you, but taken to an extreme, if you break that down, that's when you get into that same thing of, well, then I can't be as a child, I can't be sad because then that's going to make my parents sad. Right. Whichever parent has hitched their emotional stability to mine, then basically I'm responsible for two people at that point. Um, and so um, I don't even know how you could rephrase that statement to be, <laughs> I don't know. Um, let's see, you're only as happy as your saddest child. You could say, um, I, I'm I'm able to grieve with my children when they grieve, or I'm able to be happy with my children when they're right. happy, or something like that. It's not as clever as the way it's no. written right there, but again, it just goes back to that principle. We need to be careful about balancing our emotional budget on the backs of other people. Yeah, absolutely. And I had an experience with this. I remember we were just going through, you know, a particularly challenging time um, with some of our children. I remember driving down the road and it just had been, you know, a long period of just feeling, you know, down and depressed and not sure what to do. And, you know, things were, were just difficult. And I remember like, just sort of this dark thought in my head of, well, it's just never going to get better. Someone's always, someone's always going to have a problem and there's always going to be some trial up ahead. And so I guess I'm just going to be sad all the time. And it was just, it was this awful, awful feeling. And I remember it was months later and I was driving down that exact same road and, you know, things had gotten better and looked up and I, and I just had that thought like, Oh, look, it, it did get better. <laughs> and so I think that's why I don't like this phrase. You're only as happy as your satisfaction. I mean, I remember thinking, why do we have six? Because <laughs> that's, that's a lot more, you know, possibilities for sadness with six than like one. Right. I mean, <laughs> just sheer number wise. So 
Well, and what I remember about that particular situation, when when you were feeling better, that couple months later, the situation had yet to resolve. Sure. And so, and so, if you had said, "I'm only going to be happy when this situation resolves, when this child becomes right. happy, or, or, or you know, this you know, the circumstance turns around," then then you're still relegated to unhappiness. But yeah. you said. I'll be in charge of my situation here and I can choose to be happy even in difficult situations. Yeah. I think about president Nelson, who was such a good example when uh, a couple years ago, when they had those terrible fires in California, paradise. yeah, paradise, California. And he went out and visited with the saints there. And just the day prior, his daughter had died of cancer. And yet here he is out talking with others, lifting them. And if you see pictures of, of that happening at the time, you know, he's smiling and he's, he still has happiness and joy, even at this time of sadness. And that's always been such a good example to me of clearly you can empathize and you can feel sadness, but there's still joy to be found. And I think that's sort of the, what we want to strive for with parenthood. We don't want to become, like you said, you know, so callous that we don't grieve with our children or or feel bad for them when they're hurting but we still have to live our own lives and we still need to find a place for joy in there and i think that's one of the ways that we can try to manage this kind of emotional um if we get too emotionally entwined with our children or our spouses or siblings or employers or whatever it is sure. Um, is just to keep a good perspective about that. Uh, I remember just talking about President Nelson as well. Um, it was in a, I think it was in the recent uh, general conference. And he um, he said his wife, Wendy, had come to him. Um, and it was his granddaughter, like granddaughter-in-law, and her father had got cancer or something and was dying. And she was just very distraught about it, mm -hmm. very, very upset. And uh, Sister Nelson told President Nelson about it. And she said, President Nelson only had one word response. And his response was myopic. Right. It's a myopic view. Basically. Yeah. And, uh, and she said, when the young woman heard about that, she was kind of devastated. She said, I wanted grandpa to call down a blessing out of heaven and cure my dad and stuff. But I think, I think the reason President Nelson said that is he said, because there's even in what we think are tragedies, there are good things to be had from that. And that's one of the things that, you know, the blessings of understanding the gospel of Jesus Christ, and especially with a good understanding of the atonement of Jesus Christ, is that even terrible things um, usually have a silver lining. And so sometimes we get so focused on what's going on right now in this moment that we com it completely obscures our view of anything else good going on in our lives. And I'm always a fan. I'm not very good at it myself, but I'm a fan of gathering all the data that we have, putting it all together, and then seeing where the chips fall. Right. Was it a good day or a bad day? But I can't make that decision only evaluating the bad evidence from that day. I have to look at all the evidence and then decide, you know, was this good or bad? Right. Absolutely. Um, another sort of strategy or tip for dealing with a situation is recognizing that that supposed failures, we put that in quotes, can benefit our kids and frankly us. So your thoughts on that? Yeah. Failure is the greatest teacher out there. Right. Um, there's a great quote that I won't uh, 
read, I don't, I don't have it queued up here, but it's, uh, it was Justice, um, Chief Justice John Roberts, and he is uh, the uh, Chief Justice of the United States Supreme Court, and he was asked to speak at his son's high school graduation. Right. Which would be pretty cool. You know, yeah, absolutely. <laughs> Here's my dad. He's the Chief Justice of the United States Supreme Court. And um, it's called the I wish you bad luck speech <laughs> because Chief Justice Roberts said, basically said, I hope there are times when you fail. I hope there are times when you are betrayed. I hope there are times when you are taken advantage of. He says, because you're going to learn, the, you're going to learn valuable things from those experiences. Um, and of course, we don't want failure all the time. And Heavenly Father doesn't bless us with failure all the sure. time. But um, going through negative experiences and failing at things really does teach us valuable lessons. And so reconceptualizing how we see failure uh, can be very, very healthy because not only does it help you get over your fear of failure, because you're like, if I fail, hey, right. that's just a learning opportunity. Um, and then, uh, and then also, when it happens, you're not devastated by it, but you say, okay, where's the growth in this? What can, what can I learn from this? Right. That was a big changing point, I think, in how I viewed uh, parenting and and watching my children kind of go through these things was when I recognized that they're or benefits to these failures. And, and I even went so far as to kind of start to look for opportunities for them to fail, you know, not big catastrophic failures, but, you know, things like having them, you know, go out for a part in a play, right? Not everyone's going to get that part or get the part that they want. And so that in some ways could be viewed as a failure, but I thought, I think those sorts of things are, are great learning opportunities. And when I started recognizing that there were benefits and failures, then I, I didn't get so caught up in, in the emotions of, of their failures, but could, you know, view that with maybe a little bit better perspective. Um, yeah. Well, and sometimes as parents, we get pretty um, invested in our kids being successful all the time. Sure. And we, and oftentimes that's because of us, yes. because we don't want to deal with the emotional fallout of their failure. Absolutely. And I think that, again, I think that's just kind of, for lack of a better word, it's irresponsible. We have to be the grownups in that situation. And um, like I said, you get to do 13 once. Right. You don't get to do it, you know, for 10 straight years in your 40s. Um, we need to recognize that um, that it's okay for our kids to have these experiences. And that's where you get into this idea of what they call helicopter parenting sure. or what I would call bulldozer parenting, which is basically I'm just going to clear the road for my kids <laughs> so they don't have any negative experience. Um, any anything that happens at school, I run right down, I take care of it. And as a kid, you think that's pretty great because you're like, my teenage years, I didn't have to do anything hard. And until they become adults, right? And no one's clearing the way. And now all of a sudden they're doing things that are extremely difficult because they've never had to do them before. Um, you know, wouldn't it be great if the first time you had experienced disappointment was when you were 13, you know, trying out for a baseball team and got cut? Um, as opposed to the first time you experienced disappointment was 25 and going to get a job and right. you didn't get it. You know, right. that's, you're like, wait, what the heck? I thought I always got what I wanted. Well, we don't, we don't always get what we want. And so it's important to not create a kind of this protective bubble around our children, which usually is created for the parents' benefit. And ultimately it just does them a great disservice. Right. And a lot of that is, we've talked about this before, but is tied up in our own control issues as parents. We're trying to control or manipulate the situation or our children um, 
so that we experience less grief, right? In theory. And so we want things to go a certain way because then we don't have to feel sad or we don't have to feel ashamed or we don't have to feel angry or, you know, whatever, disappointed, whatever the case is. Yeah. And sometimes it also has to do with how we want others to perceive us. We've got this perfect little family that never fails. and, And so we're doing all this, you know, basically you know, real life Photoshopping, you know, to, to eliminate all the blemishes and uh, to portray ourselves to other people basically as something that we're not. And I don't think it's important to, you know, air all your dirty laundry either, but I think it's important to be, to be real and to um, acknowledge when you have failures and those sorts of things. I think those are the examples that people want. I don't think we, Oh, I would agree. We don't want any perfect examples. You see a perfect example and you go, Oh, that's great. But immediately you think, but that's not me. Right. You see an imperfect example and you're like, Oh, I can relate to that Yes. because I fail too, or my bedroom is messy too, or I don't always look so great or whatever, you know? Yes. Yeah. The second that when we become more vulnerable, then it tends to open up um, the possibility for, you know, great relationships with other people. And when we're putting on sort of this, this, you know, perfect face, then that's, that's really sort of a closed mindset. We could spend a whole podcast on that alone. <laughs> we have some strong, we probably, we probably should. Will. Yeah. Because we've definitely experienced that journey as well. All right. Um, oh, I wanted you to talk about just how like the cognitive behavioral, approach, how do I say that method sure. theory comes into play here because I've found it extremely helpful myself. Which is so interesting to me because it's basically a mainstay of of psychologists. And I always find it so fascinating that people are like, wow, I've never heard about that, you know, right? because I've known about it for 30 years. Sure. Um, but but I, I'm just coming to realize that it's not quite as common as it's people. It's not common knowledge, I would it, say. Yeah, it's interesting. Um, just shows my myopic view uh, when it comes to that. But basically it has to do with why emotions happen because because you might be going through this and you're saying, well, that's fantastic, but how do I control my emotion? Right. You know, how, how do I control when my kid comes home sad and then I don't want to be sad? How do I manage that? It all has to do with, with our thoughts. And so cognitive theory uses what's called the ABC model where the A represents an event, something that happens. B represents a belief about that event and then C represents our emotion. And if you could look at little arrows in between them, A leading to B leading to C. So so something happens. My child comes home, got cut from the football team. That's the event. My belief about that, what do I believe? If I believe, oh, that's the worst thing ever. He's gonna, you know, he's never gonna succeed. Now he's never gonna get into the pros and he's gonna be poor and destitute the rest of his life. Well, that's gonna lead to an emotion of failure and anxiety and depression and stuff like that. If I have that same event of my son comes home, he got cut from the football team. And my belief is, you know, that's okay. Cause he'll have another chance and this will probably be good for him because it'll teach him to work harder. And maybe next time he'll go in better prepared and, uh, and be even a better, you know, um, applicant next time. Then my emotion is, okay, this is going to be fine. You know, I feel okay about that. So, so looking at the belief um, in between the event and the emotion is really critical. And frankly, it's the only thing we can control. You can't control the events that happen to you. We try, but we can't. Um, You really can't control the emotions because they happen after the beliefs. So we just have to get in there and, and change the belief 
make sure that the belief is the type of one that's going to lead to the emotion we want to have. Yes. And I have found just personally for myself, like journaling those things, writing down the circumstance and then my thoughts surrounding the, that that circumstance and then looking at those thoughts and seeing, are these accurate thoughts? Is there a way to change my thoughts to make them um, more effective in how I'm handling the situation? And, and a lot of these are around parenting. Um, and it's really helped me sort of process those emotions and to avoid this idea of getting my kids win stuck in my sails. <laughs> exactly. So that's uh that's it for today. Um, thanks for listening. If you have any questions about this, come find us. Uh, you can find me on Instagram at LDS Psychologist. You can find Kristen on Instagram at Morgan Life Advice. And you can see all about us and uh, some of the books I've written and, and things I've got coming up on my website at www.ldspsychologist.com. So again, thank you and we'll happy see you parenting. next time. And happy parenting. <laughs> see you next time.